All right, so we are in our five types of spiritual leaders in Messiah's community. This is part two. We're looking at the prophets. Last week, we looked at the apostles. This week, the prophets. Next week, the evangelists. That's right. So uh, we got some um, upcoming sermons, I think, that are going to be really insightful on the uh, fivefold offices. So we've been unpacking the fivefold ministry. It's found in Ephesians 4. In our first teaching, we explored the definition, role, and function of the apostle. This week, we will give an overview of the prophet. Like the apostle, there is a strong antecedent matrix for the office of the prophet found in the Tanakh. Both offices are needed in order to advance the kingdom of Messiah on earth as it is in heaven. I think you will be pleasantly surprised in discovering while these types of leaders are so needed in building up the church today. So the five offices are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They are people gifted and given to the body of Messiah to equip the believer to do the work of service. You are commissioned to advance the kingdom of Messiah on earth as it is in heaven. The leaders don't do that. The leaders are there to train you up so that you do it. You're the army of Messiah. You're Messiah's army. And you're commissioned to advance this kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Now keep in mind as we unpack these uh, uh, offices, especially when we talk today about the prophet, keep in mind they have their roots in the Tanakh. These are not new offices, but rather fulfilled offices functioning under the new covenant. Yes, you'll find all five offices in operation in the apostolic scriptures. Now, the essential difference between post-apostolic fivefold ministry and pre-apostolic ministry is that none of the apostles, none of the prophets, evangelists, None of the pastors or teachers have the level of anointing and authority as the writers of the scripture had. None of them do. Post-apostolic, none of them have that level of authority and anointing that the writers of scripture had. Why? Because those were the scriptures and they're closed now. The canon is a closed canon. It's not an ongoing canon. There's not new books being written that are a part of the Word of God. That's a closed canon. From from Genesis to maps, that's it, right? Maps may not be inspired, but they come after the book of Revelation. This means that not one jot or tittle can be added or subtracted from them. And this makes the Scripture the highest authority the highest standard by which we judge all of our own spiritual words and spiritual experiences. This means that our prophecies and spiritual experiences do not carry the same authority as the written scriptures. In fact, they have to be submitted to the scriptures for confirmation and vindication. 
The Word of God is an objective database in which we use as a lens to understand spiritual gifts and phenomenon. Now, some beg to differ. Some say the canon is open and ongoing. Outside of Christianity, I'll give you an example of that. There was a prophet who had visions, encounters with God. And he wrote those down and he started his own religion. Guess who that was? The prophet Muhammad, the founder of Islam. His revelations became a new holy book. Now within Christianity, we have a few examples. There was another person, a young person, who had an encounter with an angel. And through these encounters, he ended up with another set of scriptures, another revelation, the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith, prophet of God. I've got the Book of Mormon. It's downstairs. I should have brought it up. It says right on the front cover, the Book of Mormon, another testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've always found that to be very helpful. I'm thankful that the Mormons put that on their Bible. Yeah, because Paul says if anyone else comes preaching another testament, another gospel, well, I won't finish it because it's not positive. Let's keep it positive, Pastor, right? So the Book of Mormon was the result of a young man who believed his spiritual experiences and revelations were as high and on, on par with Scripture, so he actually wrote another set of Scriptures. Now, another one who got way offline was a very charismatic, flamboyant personality who drew a lot, of, a lot of people. And through prophetic utterances that he exalted and made equal to the word of the Lord, led a whole bunch of people. Jim Jones, Guyana, and a lot of people died as a result of that. This is what happens when people think that their prophetic experiences and words are as high as scripture. It can lead a lot of people into dangerous places. The Holy Bible is the highest authority and standard for interpreting our spiritual experiences. It is the bedrock of truth. It's, it's the very thing we use to interpret, understand, and examine our spiritual experiences. Now, there's a whole lot of people in the body of Messiah that aren't as charismatic as these leaders I just shared. But nonetheless, they're doing the same thing. They're not getting away with it on any significant level because they just can't gather what some of these other individuals could gather. But this is how you can spot one. So you can kind of like distance yourself. People that move in the prophetic, but don't allow you to examine their prophetic words, that's a red flag. We're called to examine words. We're supposed to examine prophetic words. And when leaders say, no, 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 thus saith the Lord, don't you question that? That's a red flag. Amen. You need to start looking for exit signs in that particular congregation. If you dare examine the words, you'll experience being castigated and shamed and even moved outside the group. That's the very sign of the abuse of this office.
and of the gift of prophecy. Now, in summary to my introduction, in summary to an introduction, that's amazing, okay. All true prophets are joyfully in submission to local church authorities. Let me say that again. All true prophets are joyfully in submission to all local church authorities or to local church authorities. They welcome examination and scrutiny of their words. They realize they have clay feet rather than feet of gold, right? They have clay feet. They understand that. And because of that, they know that their words aren't 100% perfect. So they are open for examination. They submit their words for examination. They want to be helped. They're part of that local body and they're in submission to their leaders. Now I'm going to talk about false prophets in a while. So just hang on. We'll get down to that in a minute. But let me back up and talk about definitions first so that we can uh, be on the same page when I use the word prophet. So the word prophet comes from the Hebrew word navi, navi. And it means literally a spokesperson for another. Let me give you an example. Moses was a prophet. He spoke on God's behalf. God says, you're going to speak on my behalf. So he became a spokesperson for God. That's the very essence of what this word prophet means. A spokesperson for another. Aaron became Moses' spokesperson. God says, I'll send one to you. He will be like unto you, your prophet, because he's going to speak on your behalf. Aaron, spokesperson for Moses. Now, the Greek word prophetes is the, the Greek word for prophet. And it means literally the same exact thing as the Hebrew. They, they both are saying the exact same thing. Prophetes, a spokesperson for another. Now, the LXX, the uh, Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Tanakh by Jews for Jews before the first century. Guess what Greek term those translators use when translating the Hebrew word navi, prophet, into the Greek Septuagint for Jews? Prophetes, prophets. Same Greek words the New Testament writers use. Now, under the New Covenant, the prophets all come under the rule and reign of Messiah. And this is a key passage for post-apostolic prophets. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4. says, God, after he spoke a long time ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. God spoke through many different prophets down through the Tanakh period. In these last days has spoken to us in his son. The transition goes from the prophets to one person, the son. So that God is speaking through only one person now, the Son, Jesus, who is also the consummate prophet, by the way. That's part of what this passage is, is uh, uh, informed by. In these last days is spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he's also made the world. And he, the Son, is the radiance of his glory the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purifications for sins, 
He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than them, than they. So from Moses to John the Baptist, he was the last of the Tanakh prophets. From Moses to John the Baptist, there have been many prophets. Under the new covenant, the ultimate prophet has come. Yeshua, son of the living God. All true prophets today get their illumination and inspiration from Yeshua, the son of God. All true prophets are inspired and illuminated by him through his spirits. Any prophets that's speaking outside of Yeshua, the Messiah, is suspect because God has invested in Yeshua the office of the prophet. Revelation 19.10, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's all wrapped up in him. The emphasis and focus of all prophecy is Yeshua and his kingdom. So let's talk about the role and function of post-apostolic prophets today, right? Number one, Prophets know God's will. They are particularly attuned to God and his truth today. They can be men or women. We see this in the antecedent theology of the Tanakh, right? They can be men or women. Miriam, the sister of Moses, was a prophetess. Deborah, remember Deborah? One of the judges of Israel. She was a prophetess. So prophets can come both male or female. Under the new covenant, uh, we we see this to be uh, uh, true as well. Um, They are passionately devoted to God and to his word. So one of the earmarks of the prophet is they're all about the word of the Lord. In fact, the favorite phrase of two of the most well-known prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, is this phrase. The word of the Lord came to me saying. Now, now if you study the times of Jeremiah, for instance, there were a lot of prophets. The true prophets were a minority. There were a lot more false prophets. You know the favorite phrase of the false prophets were in Jeremiah's day? The Spirit of the Lord revealed this to me. The Spirit of the Lord, you know, uh, 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 um, illuminated my heart or my mind. The Spirit of the Lord gave me this. Yeah, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. In fact, they were called the windy prophets because the word Spirit means, means wind. Jeremiah comes along and he's in contrast. He says over and over and over, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the word of the Lord came to me saying, why? Because the sacred text, is the highest authority. The word of the Lord becomes the bedrock for understanding all spiritual phenomenon. Ezekiel's the same way. The word of the Lord came to me saying, these prophets, they spend a lot of time with the Lord and in his word. They serve and they attend to him. They're about him. Not so much the people. They're about the name and fame of God. We'll get down to that in a minute. 
Luke chapter 2, 36 through 38. Here's an example of a woman prophetess. Notice the characteristics of her life. This is, this is who the prophets are. It says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. The earmarks of the prophets. Man, they are so devoted to the Lord. They are so devoted to his presence. They serve him. They're all about him. You know, the pastors are all about the sheep. They're about the sheep, and they spend time with the sheep, and they're nurturing the sheep. The prophets, they're spending time with God. They're all about, about the presence of God and his glory. So she was there in the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at every moment she came up, I'm sorry, at that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She was in the temple encountering Mary and Joseph soon after Jesus was born. So that was part of that encounter there. They are concerned and very sensitive about how people treat God. They are guardians of his name and his fame. They are guardians of his holy law. Let me say that again. They're guardians of his holy law. They're all about the law of God. Let's take a quick look at the first prophet recorded in the Bible. Who's the pr first prophet recorded in the Bible, anyone? Stephen? Abraham? Bingo. If I was Catholic, I'd say winner, winner, chicken dinner. B-I-N-G-O, you get a chicken dinner, okay. I don't even know where I'm going with that, all right. But you did get that right is the point, okay. Abraham is the first prophet recorded in the Bible, Genesis 27. Notice how his life is summarized by God. This is the first prophet of God. Genesis 26, 5. Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. That's the earmark of a prophet. They're all about the father. They gladly submit to him, and they're the caretakers and the protectors of his law. They safeguard that. They're the guardians of holiness. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Jesus said, and he's in his prophetic mode, by the way. You know, Jesus, he, he, he's the consummate apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. He's all of them in one. When he ascended on high, he split all those gifts up and gave them to men so that no one would have all of them in their own constitution. Only he would have that. Listen to Jesus, the prophet. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
but whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You know who the great ones are? The prophets, the guardians of the law, the ones who teach the law to the people of God as a way of life. They're considered great. Now, the church is counterculture. The church has fallen into the ways of the world. What does the church do? The church actually demonizes the prophets. All they want is grace. They want no responsibility to live that grace out within the context of the law of the king. The prophets are saying, no, it's all about living out that grace within the context of the law of the king. So they're counterculture and they're not very popular, but that's who they are. Romans chapter 3 and verse 31, Paul says, Do we nullify the law through faith? Because we're saved by grace through faith and not by works of the law, do we nullify the law? Of course not. It says, may it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. The law is not a salvation mechanism, but the law is a revelation of, about how the saved shall live their lives. We are saved by grace through faith and faith alone. But now that we're saved, how are we going to live? According to holy laws. The laws our God has given to us. That's how we're going to live our lives. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 16 says this about the new covenant. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws, Torah, I'm going to put my Torah on their hearts. I'm going to write them on their minds. Those who are born again have that in them. The prophets come to help you unpack that. That's what the prophets do. They help you unpack that. After you get born again, saved, right? They're going to teach you now how to live commensurate to that grace. They bring correction. Slide 60. They bring correction and challenge the dominant assumptions we inherit from the culture. This is why they die premature deaths, by the way because they challenge those dominant assumptions, which become very, very offensive to the overly sensitive, lawless one. And then what do they do? They rush to shut their mouths, and they slay the prophets. They want to silence them so they can live in their lawlessness, unabated. So from Moses to Malachi, they speak to the powers of their day. They demand a biblical justice for everyone, the rich and the poor alike. You don't get off the hook for being rich. In biblical justice, the rich are held to the law just as the poor are. In fact, you don't get off the hook because you're poor, right? Today you do. Social justice is all about letting the poor off the hook. Well, they're poor. You know, looting's just another form of wealth redistribution. They have a right to that. Really? Leviticus 19.15 says this, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. In other words, you're not to be partial, partial to the poor because they're poor. They don't get a break because they're poor. And the rich don't get a break because they're rich. You're all equal before the law. You're all accountable equally before the law. That's a biblical justice. And that's what they fight for. A biblical justice for all. That's part of their job description. 
Biblical justice is radically different than the justice we see today, the so-called social justice we see all around us today. Now, going on in this definition, the prophets, they insist that the community obey what God has commanded. Yeah, they, 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 they're going to they're gonna say, look, I'm glad you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. That's great. Welcome. You're in. Now, let's get to business here. Let's get down to holy living so that we can be a testimony, a light to the world around us. So they're all about helping all of us step up to a lifestyle that's commensurate with the commandments of God. That's what they do. They question the status quo. Now, without the other type of fivefold ministry leaders in place, prophets can become belligerent activists. Yes, they, they can, and they do from time to time. Paradoxically, They disengage from the imperfection of reality and become otherworldly. They become so holy that they're not even relevant anymore. Okay? So the prophets need the pastors to bring balance. They need each other. In fact, all fivefold ministries need each other to stay in balance so that the advancement of the kingdom of God can be actualized. The most often misunderstood aspect of this office of the prophets is the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is not the gift of the prophets. The prophets are given as gifts. They are people. The gift of prophecy is a gift that everyone, potentially everyone, can receive and move in. Now, because prophets move in this gift, people get confused and they think, well, if you prophesy really, really well, then you must be a prophet. And that is just the misunderstanding and confusion that has settled on the church. Let me just read this to you. 1 Corinthians 12, 29, it says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, And then second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, then helps, administrations, various types of tongues. Lots of gifts, and then you have the fivefold offices. Goes on to say, all are not apostles, are they? Of course not. All are not prophets, are they? Of course not. All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? Right. These are distributed throughout the body. The fivefold ministers, they're there to equip the body. If everyone's a fivefold minister, who do they equip? There's no one to equip. The fivefold offices are special gifts. They are people that the Lord gives to his church to equip the believers. Just because one is good at prophesying does not make one a prophet. Some of the most prophetically gifted people I know, we all know, Neglect and even reject the holy Shabbat, the very weekly holy day that the creator of the universe gave to everyone whom the Redeemer modeled for all of us. They reject that. Do you realize 
The Sabbath is so important to God that he says, if you break that, if you break that in a blatant way, in an ongoing way, it'll cost you your life. One of the ways that you sort out the weightier issues of the Torah and the lighter issues of the Torah is you look at the penal code, right? So if this one says, if you break this one, you got to wait till evening and take a shower and then you're good to go. And this one says, you got to give your calf, which represents maybe two years of your annual income. You know right away that this other commandment is very important because it's going to cost you. When it says, if you break this one repeatedly, you get a die. Then you know that's a really big one. That's a really important one to God. The Sabbath is one of those really important big ones to God. So how is it that the guardians of the Torah, the ones that are most zealous for the Torah, actually neglect and even reject not only the Sabbath, but the festivals of the Lord? Think about that for a minute. How could they even call themselves prophets? In fact, what do you think prophets like Moses, Elijah, and Jeremiah would say to those who say, I'm a prophet, and they reject the Sabbath, embrace Sunday, and also involve themselves in all these syncretized pagan holy days. They would be left. I think they might even be stoned by the real true prophets. Yeah. No, these people that move well in the prophetic gifting are definitely gifted. They are our brothers and sisters. They are saved, but they are not prophets, even if they call themselves prophets. There's a standard which qualifies a person for that office. And if it's not met, you're not appointed or recognized in that office. So no, the gift of prophecy does not equate to, I'm now a prophet. It's a very important gift. Everyone can move in it, but it doesn't qualify you. There are many other qualifying uh, aspects to whether a person can sit in that office. The primary work of the prophet is not predicting things to come. That's not the primary work of a prophet. The primary work of a prophet is discipleship and reform. They help people come into alignment with God's word, with God's ways. They're reformers. They call the nation back to the law of God. The, the prophets, they would never say, come back and believe in the Lord. No, the people already believed in the Lord. The message of the prophet was, come back and obey the law of God. Come back and embrace the covenant as a way of life. Come back and walk in the ancient paths. Therein lies the good blessings. That's what the prophets do. They call people back to covenant faithfulness. They call civil leaders to repentance. They correct religious leaders who have fallen away into lawlessness. So please do not confuse the gift of prophecy with the office of the prophet. They may overlap, but they are also distinctly different. Okay, false prophets. This is so, so interesting. False prophets are those who are gifted, who move in the prophetic, who do signs and wonders, who give words that come to pass, but then lead people away from the Torah as a way of life. It's really 
not what we normally think of. We think of false prophets as those who are charlatans who make up signs and wonders that are really not signs and wonders, who give words that don't come to pass, when in reality, no, it's actually the opposite. They actually move in the prophetic. They actually do signs and wonders. They give authentic words of prediction that come to pass. And yet they're false prophets. Let's look at this closer. Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or a dreamer, dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder. Now notice, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams. I had a dream. God speaks through dreams. Dreams are part of that prophetic uh, process that we uh, uh, describe all the time. So if a prophet or a dreamer of dream arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true, concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. So this prophet's going to come with spiritual phenomenon, signs and wonders, dreams and visions, prophetic words. But in the end, he's going to say, you don't have to walk in the way, the ancient paths, the law of God. Goes on to say in verse 3, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you. The Lord God, he's testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Who sends the false prophets? According to this passage, God does. God says, I sent them to test you. Yeah, the sign of the wonder is authentic. I'm doing it because I'm testing you. You're going to be dazzled by prophetic words that come to pass. You're going to be dazzled by signs and wonders. And then in the end, follow that prophet away from my Torah. Now I'm seeing if you're going to be faithful to the covenant. I'm testing your loyalty, your fidelity. It's me and it's a test. Isn't that fascinating? That's so insightful. You shall, uh, it says, uh, it goes on to say, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him and you shall keep his commandments. Listen to his voice, serve him, cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, slide 72, shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, who redeemed you from the house of slavery, to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from among you. Anyone that comes along doing signs and wonders, but in the end begins to undermine the Torah as a way of life, begins to seduce you away from any of the commandments of God. And that seduction is always very subtle. You know, it's, it's not easily seen. You've got to be discerning. You've got to have the Spirit of God and discern that. But if they begin to undermine the Torah as a way of life, begin to move you away from that, that's the false prophets. Yeah, you don't judge the, the spiritual supernatural phenomenon. You'll, you'll, get, you'll get swept away in that every time. Now you say, what's the message at the end of the day, right? What's the message of this prophet? Is he pushing me into the law of God as a way of life? Or is he undermining that? And if he's undermining it, the Lord is testing me with this, this person. 
Whether prophetic words come to pass or not is not the definition of a false prophet. People say all the time, oh, he's a false prophet because he said this and it didn't come to pass. False prophet. That's not what the word says. You, you, you need to read and understand what the word says or you're going to be duped. Number one, most of the people that gave prophetic words this last couple of years, you know, on a national level, they're not prophets to begin with. I don't even know why they call them prophets. You can't even be a false prophet if you're not a prophet to begin with. They're not even prophets to begin with. They just have the gift of prophecy. But running with the assumption that they're prophets, the next question is, is, well, their word didn't come to pass. They must be a false prophet. No, I'm sorry. That's just not true. If you take that position, you're going to run into all kinds of problems with true prophets. True prophets who give words that don't come to pass. Let's look at one. Jonah. Jonah and the whale. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. Second time, because he ran the first time. Remember the story? He said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to share the message. Why did he do that? He did that. He did that because he knew who God was. The first, the first thing that God wants you to know is that he is full of love and compassion and mercy and kindness. Quick to forgive, right? Slow to anger, quick to forgive. Jonah says, I know who you are. I'm, yeah, you got this message. You're, you're going to threaten them through my mouth, and that you're not going to make good. They'll repent, and you won't do what you said you were going to do, and I'll look like a false prophet. Ain't doing it. And he runs. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? That God would change his mind? That prophetic words are conditional? Which means true prophets can give prophetic words that don't come to pass? but that doesn't mean the prophetic word wasn't true. Doesn't mean that the prophet wasn't true. Ready for this? Verses three and four. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and said, and here's the proclamation of the Lord given by the Lord for him to proclaim in Nineveh. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Was Nineveh overthrown in 40 days? False prophet. Who's going to call him a false prophet? Anyone here want to call Jonah a false prophet? Did his prophetic word come to pass? It didn't. Did anyone, does anyone think his prophetic word came to pass? Anyone? Raise your hand if you think his word came to pass. Thank you. His word did not come to pass. Forty days came and went, and God did not destroy Nineveh, which was Jonah's initial gripe. Right? Because where in the passage does God say, unless they repent? There's no conditions here laid out for us. So in the ears of the people, Jonah's word didn't come to pass. And Jonah is pouting because he just looks, looks like he is a false prophet. You know, how many people want to sign up to give words that don't come to pass? Who wants to do that, right? Swing and a miss. Okay, so 
The vast majority of all of our prophetic words are conditional, whether the condition is stated or not. This is the heart of God. God changes his mind, believe it or not. Jeremiah 18, 7 through 10, at one moment I might speak, and when God speaks, he speaks through prophets. So he's talking about prophetic utterance here. At one moment, I may give a prophetic utterance through a prophet. That's how you would read that. At one moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down or destroy it. If that nation against which I've spoken, spoken through the prophets, prophetic utterances, turns from its evil, I will relent. I'll change my mind concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. Or another moment I might speak through a prophet concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant it. But if it does evil in my sight by not obeying my voice through the prophets, then I will think better of the good which I had promised to bless it. God changes his mind based on what the people do in response to the prophetic words. It's complicated. The average person is calling true prophets false prophets and false prophets true prophets because they don't understand the antecedent theology of the prophets. They don't read the Tanakh, so they don't have that framework to figure that out. Now let's talk about the presumptuous prophet. Because you have different gradations in this prophetic deal. So let's talk about the presumptuous prophet. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, Deuteronomy 18.22, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Now, these prophets can be legitimate prophets, but they can be puffed up with pride, think really highly of themselves, exaggerate their accomplishments to try to get a following. And this pride that they have leads them to presumption so that they actually prophesy and it doesn't come to pass because it's not from the Lord in the first place. But that doesn't mean they're a false prophet. They're, they're on the pathway to becoming a false prophet. But they're just at this point presumptuous prophets. What's it say to do with them? It says, just don't revere them. It doesn't say stone them. It says, don't, don't revere them. Don't, don't, yeah. It, it, well, actually the word is revered. So it's not so much fear, it's honor. Don't honor them as a prophet because they're not. They're presumptuous. Just ignore them. Again, the false prophet is the one who is gifted but leads people away from the commandments of God. And how would we test their claim of being a prophet, Matthew 17, 15 through 16. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits, not their prophetic words, not their signs and wonders. You'll know them by what? Their fruits, their character, their lifestyle. That's how you're going to know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he will enter. Many will come to me on that day saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, 
you who practice lawlessness, Torahlessness. That's the earmark of the false prophet. He doesn't do Torah and he leads other people away from the Torah. He sets people free from the curse of the law. That's the false prophet. Now, let me move on because I'm out of time. What about testing prophetic words? We're supposed to test the prophets by their fruits and what their message is in the end. But how do you test the word that's given to you? Someone comes up and says, thus saith the Lord and gives you a word. How do you test that word, right? First Thessalonians 5.21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Now, now real, right away, abstain from every form of evil, it, it, it's really, we, we could translate that better. The, the word here um, really is in contrast to that which is good. So you, you, someone prophesies, you seek the Lord, make sure it's confirming in your heart, it's lined up with Torah, take it if it's good, and build on it, implement it. It'll produce in your life. But those parts that were not from God because it came through a clay vessel, yeah, just set those aside. That's the bad part of the, of the prophetic word. That's the clay part of the prophetic word. You know, that's that part that you can set aside. You hold fast to that which is good, and you distance yourself from the rest. Don't quench, quench the spirit. Foster, give, and receive prophetic utterances. Just examine them. Make sure that you examine them. And then take the good, implement that in your life, your family, your business, and your community. 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 19. Paul says to Timothy, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you. What prophecies? All personal prophecies. They weren't even recorded. People giving Timothy prophetic utterances concerning Timothy and what he was to do for the Lord. Paul says, you know, those prophecies previously made concerning you, yeah, make sure you use those, Timothy, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience. Those prophetic words, stir them up. Journal. Implement them in your life. It'll change your life. God will lead and direct you through prophetic words. Your job is to examine, take that which is from God and run with it and just set the other stuff aside. So, I'm out of time. This church has some pastors. We are going to raise up fivefold ministry as well. In fact, we have one prophetess. One, we have one minister that is, in, that is appointed to the office of prophets that helps us in the prophetic ministries. That's Minister Don. I want to let you know we're about to license another. And we'll have another that will sit with her in that office of the prophet and on the council of the prophets shortly. And then we're going to open that up for evangelists and other fivefold ministries as we move into the fall and raise up a leadership development program that can help people from discipleship all the way to leadership, all the way into fivefold ministry if they're called a fivefold ministry, so that we can fully equip this place to do the work of the kingdom 
and grow like we've never grown before. That's going to be for the glory of Jesus. So Shabbat Shalom, come on up and uh, release us so we can go get our kids and get the kids really quick because I'm a little bit over. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom.